Sophie. Hi, hey. Chad. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Look who's back. Back, back again. again. <laughs> I'm Rachel Leohoska and welcome back to It's a Practice, your new favourite podcast by The Pappy Show. We've been chatting to people from all different professions, whether they be our best friends or people that we admire and respect, to get some insight into their practice, what connects us and how we can learn from our mistakes and each other. This week is our final episode of our first series of It's a Practice and we are finishing off in style with fashion designer Shazad Mohoyedin who runs his own brand called Math Collective. Check them out online, they are amazing. And B Holland who is an actor, a writer and in the core team here at The Pappy Show. Let me just say, be prepared for some mad stories from them both this week. <laughs> Um, they're both amazing people, so sit back and I hope you enjoy. This is our, our second time recording this episode. Our audio didn't work on the first time, but you know what? It's a practice! <laughs> <laughs> I'm quite genuinely, I enjoyed our first episode so much because you two had the wildest stories oh god so we've got a lot, <laughs> and I think, a lot to live up to again you can't say that you set the bar oh, really so high sorry. Rachel it makes it really difficult I think everyone just needs to again. be prepared <laughs> I can't even remember what I witted on about <laughs> well no pressure anyway. babe. <laughs> no no pressure all right let's get straight in with our checking questions mm. so the best bargain you've ever bought <laughs> and a time you felt strong. Um, should I start? Yes, no, be, no. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just because I can think <laughs> of a good bargain that I uh, was able to nab. It was winter. I was listening to a lot of like late 80s, early 90s, like hip hop. And I was like, I want to live my best Biggie Smalls life. So I want to get like a fur coat. So I went to kind of, Port, <laughs> I went to Portobello Market. And then um, I got approached by a Jehovah's Witness. I didn't know at the time. We were just talking we were just having like a nice polite chat. Then she tried to kind of convert me. And then I was like, oh, I'm Muslim. And that, that was a whole other conversation. <laughs> and then my friend came and then she was like, okay, Shaz, walk away from the Jehovah's Witnesses. And I was like, oh, we were just having a nice chat. She was really nice. And then she was like, oh, wait, let me give you a blessing. So I was like, I'll take a blessing. So she kind of whispered Lovely. something like, whispered something over me. And then um, the first shop I went into was looking at all these kind of vintage fur coats. And the salesperson, she was wearing a coat. And I was like, the one you're wearing is the one. And then that was the one that I bought. Like, I tried it on. It was great. And then she, boom. You took the coat off her back. She, it, was, it was being sold. It was cold. So she was wearing it for warmth. But she was okay. like, this is for sale. I was like, yeah, mate, I'll have it. So, uh, and it was a bargain. It was a, it was a great How bargain. Um, I think it was like under 300. And it was like a vintage what? mink coat. <laughs> Oh, Listen, I got you going to say 20 quid. Oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> That's not a bargain. It's a bargain. No, it's, mink. Yeah, it's a vintage mink coat <laughs> from like the 70s or something. Wow. So I, was like, I forgot we're talking to a fashion designer. Yeah. I completely forgot. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I thought that was a bargain, mate. I was like, oh, wicked. <laughs> <laughs> So that's oh me. My God. Yeah. I'm 
I'm the other end of the scale of that. I'm like a TK Maxx addict. <gasps> and I, I've had, well, lockdown, I haven't been to TK Maxx for over a year now, but I think that's why I've managed to make some savings because I can't, I can't go into TK Maxx without spending a minimum of £100 and I can <laughs> spend £100 in about 20 minutes. I just love it. I love the bargain. I hate jumble sales, but I just love, it basically is a jumble sale, isn't it? And it's mm. like, I just love rummaging through and finding a bargain uh, to the point that I would say I've probably got a problem. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I don't know if you might remember this, Rach, when we were doing, we were doing like really early R&D for girls when we were at the Lyric Hammersmith and anyone who knows the Lyric Hammersmith Theatre, TK Maxx is opposite the theatre. <laughs> uh-uh. So I sometimes used to go to rehearsals early or I'd always sneak out in the lunch break to, and like some of the cast, Ursula and people used to go, B, where are you going? I'd be like, ah, 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 I've just got to go to, um, I've just got to go to M&S to get something. And, she, and then they would check my bags. The girls checked my bags oh, on the God. way back in. And like, I had to sort of, I ended up getting really sneaky and like buying stuff from TK Maxx and then changing the carrier bag or kind of like putting it in my rucksack no, so no one didn't. knew. It was such oh a dirty God. secret. But it also, um, I bought a pair of trainers there, which are beautiful, a pair of petrol blue high top Adidas. Wow. And I really didn't need another pair of trainers. I really, <laughs> really didn't. But they were like 30 quid and they were my size. And I was, it was just like a bit like that thing of like, this is meant to be like you're yeah. with your coat. That I was like, oh, this is what I've been rummaging around for. <laughs> this beautiful pair of trainers. They're gorgeous. Um, amazing. They're a bit old now, that. but people still go like, nice trainers. And then I go, do you want to hear the story? <laughs> <laughs> Not really. What's your bargain, Rach? So I think that my bargain is, um, there's a nail salon post-pandemic. Everything is £20. I can't get enough of it. It's my favourite place to go because there's so many different women in there from like mm. all walks of life and they all just have a massive gossip. It's honestly my happy place right now. Oh. I've been so often. Right now I've got dark grey ones. Yeah, I like them. Very summery. Yeah. <laughs> <Not really laughs> but you know what? They go with every clothes. Yeah, they go with everything. <laughs> I love that so much. And um, a time you felt strong. Yeah, I was thinking about this because I was like, oh, every single instance that I kind of thought of was like about vulnerability and about being in like the shittest times or the darkest moments of going like, but I managed to do that. I'm so impressed with myself that I was strong enough to kind of keep going. Then I was thinking about like, like I really avoid confrontation. Like in lockdown, I had some really annoying neighbours that were totally antisocial, but so posh. They'd like have booming music at like eight in the morning and I'd go, like I used to put my head over the over the fence and go, sorry, can you like what, what the fuck? <laughs> and they go, we're doing our workout. We're doing our workout. Fuck like, you know. What? I don't care what you're doing. I'm trying to do my workout. Like, put your headphones on. Anyway, that that kind of... So those are things of, like, being... You know, but then I always think, oh, was, was I strong? Or, you know, you come away sort of shaking, even though you've just said, excuse me, could you turn your music down, please? Maybe it's linked, actually, like, standing up and speaking. Like, I don't know, I did a speech at my dad's funeral. That was really, like, that thing of going, am I going to be able to do this? Or when I sang at Judy Brown, who's, like, a good friend of a lot of the Pappy show, at her funeral... I just didn't know if I'd be able to actually do it. Like, oh God, I don't know. But that, that, that those sort of moments of going and then getting through it, it's still about the adrenaline for me. Like that, 
you know, that you kind of get to the end and you're like, I did it. Oh, my God. Mm. Rather than, like, physical strength. I tell you what, though, I remember you singing at Judy's memorial service. It was just so incredible. I really see, like, a vision of, like, strength in that because it was so emotional and you were Mm. so powerful. Your voice, like, filled the whole room. Yeah, it was also, like, a... Not her favourite song, but like her well-known signature tune. It was like, oh, God. <laughs> like, oh, really? But I could actually, I could visualise her laughing at the fact I'd been put up to it. So that kind of helped. Anyway. <laughs> How about you, Shaz? I don't know. Like, maybe not so much like a physical strength, but during the lockdown and everything, I got more into kind of doing like a, a yoga practice that I hadn't done for a really long time. And um, I used to fight with it so much when I used to be in classes because I've got tight hamstrings or tight hips and hmm. just kind of sometimes going through the practice and where it just like develops. And then you leave with this sense of like, ah, oh, I didn't have to fight. It just it is what it is. And it was, hmm. I've left hmm. kind of certain practices just kind of going to the mat in one kind of mental space and then just leaving feeling like completely light or completely like energized where I've started like completely like knackered or something like that so I think like that's something that's kind of I guess stayed with me a lot during this whole pandemic um that kind Mm. of time for yourself um yeah to kind of give yourself time it makes you feel like strong because it's just like your own time there's no expectation it's just you actually give something to yourself so maybe more like mentally in that respect like it's it's uh that's the most recent yeah the most recent and ongoing time yeah cool um a time I was strong or a time I felt strong I, I feel like if I say anything other than when I was a CrossFit coach I'm <laughs> probably not being that truthful <laughs> but physically when I was a CrossFit coach there was another female coach but most of the other coaches were male and absolute fucking meatheads <laughs> and I say that in the kindest way they were lovely people but um but <laughs> at like lunch times I love meatheads <laughs> but um <laughs> at lunch... for lunch. <laughs> I'm vegan <laughs> so am I I oh, know I'm not I'm veggie <laughs> That's but, key, actually. Anyway, sorry, sorry, mate. Carry on. It's getting worse, Pete. <laughs> actually, I hate me. Okay, carry on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Shut up. Yeah, we used to work out as like the coaches' team, and I'd feel so badass, like throwing mm. weights around, jumping on the rower, going running back into the. I'd feel. I just felt really badass, but also just felt really like felt strong. <laughs> so you two know the structure of this how this is going to run <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah. but this is the bit where Rowley's going to add a really beautiful little bit of oh, sound, a yeah. little bit of music yeah yeah yeah, thanks Rowley <laughs> so Shaz you are a friend of Comron's did you grow yes. up together? we didn't necessarily grow up together but he's my best friend's like cousin so then oh. yeah so like I've known him since he was a kid um, <laughs> and stuff so yeah I like you see he feels like my little brother in like so many ways so like yeah so I have grown up with him yeah in, in some yeah yes oh, yes that's answer, really yeah. lovely yeah. yes <laughs> it's like have I uh, yeah, yeah. have I grown up <laughs> have I grown up yeah I think that's what I was stumbling <laughs> is this it <laughs> 
And Shaz, you are a fashion designer and I've seen your stuff online and it, it's such beautiful clothes. I feel like it's all about shape and colours mm. and like really sophisticated but simple. You run, It's called the Math yeah. Collective, right? Yeah, Math Collective, yeah. I've been in the industry for almost 15, 16 years, but I, wow. right now I'm working on... Yeah, I'm working on my own label, Math Collective, that I launched um, during the first lockdown. Um, and yeah, like you said, it's a men's and women's wear brand. That's like kind of easy luxury, I like to kind of call it. Simple shapes, beautiful colours, cut really well. Um, so yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I love this. I love this. And B, you do so many different things. You're an actor, oh. you're a writer, you're an amazing performer. You are a theatre maker. You co-run the Pappy Show. Tell us a bit about yes. what you do in your own words. Um, well, you've done it. You've done it. <laughs> you've done it, darling. Yeah, a bit of a bit of everything. I'd probably say I'm a performer uh, and writer, kind of first up. But I don't know, it's, it changes a lot. And I've been doing a lot of voice work recently. Actually, I've been um, locked in a wardrobe for the whole of the pandemic, recording audiobooks, which is, <laughs> who, who knew you could do that? And how Amazing. how did it both start for you both? How did it begin? How did it begin? <laughs> um, Where did it begin? God, I don't know. I kind of always, I always wanted to be a performer. I, I did loads of dance when I was really young, like from mm. two or something. And I realised quite quickly, like the kind of, Oh, I don't know. I didn't have the body to be a dancer. And then I sort of discovered theatre and acting and was like, oh, this is a bit like that, but a bit freer and a bit kind of more diverse, I suppose. And then I did the National Youth Theatre. But I just remembered the, when I was clearing out a box of stuff that my mum, you know, when your mum just dumps, yeah. like, found this, sort it out, <laughs> not my problems. Like, fair enough, yeah. And um, I found a programme for a show I did um, in the West End when I was 16. Wow. I'd completely forgotten about it. Um, it was like, um, I totally skived school. It was amazing I got any GCSEs. It was a thing called... Um, a musical called Love Life. I played the daughter in it, and my brother was a very a lesser known actor called James Corden, which I'd completely oh, forgotten wow. about. <laughs> no I found the, way! I what? Found the, I know! And I what? found the programme the other day in this like box of old shit and was like, oh, oh yeah! <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah! Um, so anyway, and then I did NYT after that. I was a member of NYT for. We were much younger though then. You had to leave when you were 21. Now you can stay till you're 26 in those days. It was the end of the 90s. Um, but anyway, then kind of worked with MIT as well and like as a, an assistant and kind of got trained up as a director and a sort of theatre maker and divisor. So it kind of, it didn't, I never, you never really leave MIT, do you? Mm. Kind of, you're still part of this sort of big family. So stayed there and then also went to university did English but found the drama department within Hull University which is a brilliant drama department mm. and so kind of snuck in there and did loads of shows and kind of that was my training I suppose there really it's really like student-led and then yeah then got out there and got on with it kind of started probably more like comedy stuff and lots of sketch stuff a thing called News Review that's like a topical show that's still going it's been going for years 50 years maybe I don't wow. know long really long time and it changes every week depending on what's going on on in the news that was amazing and really good training you just gotta <laughs> like just jump in write a new sketch and like do it like that it's carried on a bit like that bit mm. of this bit of that <laughs> bit of this bit of that bit of this bit of that what was that master of all no no 
jack of all trades, or I don't know, whatever that phrase is. Cut that bit. <laughs> God, I don't even know what the phrase is. <laughs> jack of all trades, master of none. Thank you. Is yeah. that you're master of all, aren't Mis- you? Mistress of, mistress of all. Mistress of all. <laughs> How about you, Shaz? Um, basically, my background was in kind of graphic design. And then I started like straight out of university in Brick Lane selling T-shirts just on a store, like designing and then screen printing. Mm. So it was like a proper humble beginnings, I think, like mm. you know, like the dream, like when you start, I'm going to start a label. It was like that. <laughs> um, it just quickly kind of just spiraled, kind of doing like so many different things. I've done everything from I went from like a T-shirt brand to kind of doing uh, women's wear, selling to like ASOS, Urban Outfitters stores internationally to doing a bit later on in my career I started to do like London Fashion Week and I started to do all the shows then I've consulted on brands like developing designs for like other people and launching brands and then finally like I came back to my own label I've worked in so many different areas of like the fashion industry I think like just similarly I think being a creative you have to kind of just be like adaptable so you kind of Mm. just go with the you go with kind of like the vibe of what's what's happening. Mm. So yeah, I've I've done all sorts. Can I just say the way you just dropped in ASOS London Fashion Week yeah. <laughs> was mad. Was literally mad. We just nodded so like, oh, that's uh-huh. yeah, sure, uh-huh. sure. <laughs> Listen, sure. I, you have to tell us more about London Fashion Week. I, I think because I've always felt I've never like formally fashion like trained in terms of like fashion in that kind of way. I never went through like the school or like mm. Central St. Martins or something like that, where mm-hmm. you kind of, mm. you're kind of already prepared in terms of like how you're educated for the industry. When I fell into these kind of um, opportunities, it was almost like a bit more of like a relaxed approach towards it. It was mad. Like everything around you that's happening is mad. It's like crazy. And you've got like some designers walking in, having like meltdowns and like oh my God. people yeah. like screaming and like it's a full on <laughs> thing. But I was always like quite, chilled like I was like oh this is fun I took everything as like this is just so much fun it was really hard work really draining but ultimately like so satisfying to see something you came up with in your head being worn yeah being worn by models like walking down the runway and then people seeing your stuff and press writing about it it was amazing I took it all just as like a this was like a blessing um Mm. but I never expected anything so I think maybe that's why I come across a bit like not nonchalant about it but <laughs> I was just like oh what this were the outfit. outfits what did you design oh uh, I think like one of the like strongest collections almost stand out it was a women's wear like high-end women's wear uh, label mm. which was which was math and it was just before it got picked up by uh, my wardrobe it was the tweed that's used by like Chanel mixed with like leathers and Italian silk and we had just this incredible show and then like you had Evening Standard magazine like come backstage. This thing kind of happened and journalists yeah. were looking at it. And I was like, oh, is oh, is this the thing that people talk about? Like, oh, this this thing's happening. Okay. And then and then I was <laughs> picked up. So yeah, it was it was it was crazy. An incredible time, like a really incredible time. Mm. And stuff. Oh. So yeah. So amazing to hear you talk about it. Even just hearing about the textures, like materials, materials. and stuff, yeah. paints a really like vivid picture. What have been your most joyful moments? 
happy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I sort of think, it, yeah, I was sort of thinking like, oh, what are the highlights or like, you know, the big moments? Like there's been some like really exciting, they're not like the most glamorous moments or the kind of biggest jobs or the most impressive things. It's always, for me, like the real wins are like, Usually when it's come from my own head or a collective, like whether that's like writing with someone else or kind of devising something or making something, like Pappy Show stuff is a really good example of that. And that thing when it's like, we did this. I used to do, I used to work with a brilliant performer um, called Samantha Sands and we had a show called Ladies Monthly. It was one of those things of like a dream of mine to be able to do that. It's kind of cabaret style. And then in the end, like the two of us were like, we've got enough material, we've written enough stuff to hold a two-hour show and we did it on this brilliant venue called the Battersea Barge um which is exactly what it is <laughs> um uh, a boat a boat on the river and it was just that like absolute thrill of going oh, we kind of dared to do this you know and we've mm. worked really hard but and we did it <laughs> and kind of going like what the fuck and like all these people turned up to, to see it and they've all had a good time and you know and that thing of like Kane always says it, doesn't he? Like, you chose to spend your evening with us, you know, like in terms of the gratitude to an audience. And it really felt like that. Of like, thank you for kind of putting your faith and time in us. And then, yeah, I think it's always those moments of like being with the kind of whole team and that thing of thinking none of this, this doesn't work unless each of us is here. Like we're all a cog in this kind of mad machine. Like whether that's a two-person cog or a 20-person mm. kind of cog, like... Though those are my, yeah, big wins rather than that surprised me. Well, it didn't really surprise me. But when I was thinking like, you know, when you think about like wins, it's like, what was the moment of stardom or what was the moment <laughs> yeah. of like, of everyone, you know, getting an amazing review or being picked out as the one. <laughs> and like, um, actually it's all been like the opposite of that really. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. That's really lovely, yeah. Tell us about your wins, Shaz. Oh, God. I guess I kind of touched on the win. Like, I think doing the shows and everything, it was one of those standout kind of moments where you, you know, like be what you were saying before, like you have certain things that you feel like you should be doing. So that when you mm. when they actually happen, sometimes I always say to myself, like, you need to acknowledge like this moment, like in this moment right now, you're doing exactly what you're supposed to be doing. And like, yeah, it's working. It doesn't mean that it's it's going to be like this all the time or tomorrow hundred things might go wrong. Like if I've like done a design and it's like, it's come together, like it's been realized from like a sketch to doing like the first kind of twirl of it. And then when it's finally made and if like, if I put it on and it, it works, that always feels like such a win, like the joy from, Mm. uh, I, I came up with that. And then, Technically, I tried to realize it and then it worked and then now I see it. Yeah. So mm. that's a win. And the, the gift of it is with everything that you design, no matter how many seasons you do, no matter how many pieces, each time a piece is realized, you get that same feeling. It's that same feeling of like adrenaline and joy and electric. You're like, this is why mm. I love doing this. So I think that's the beauty of being a creative. You can create joy in so many different aspects of your professional creative career it's about kind of like what you define it to kind of be like what you choose to take if you celebrate these kind of smaller wins or if you're only looking for that big thing but mm. 
but I think the more you become seasoned in kind of what you're doing, you you realize what's important. What's actually important is being true to like your own creativity and expressing that. And when you're able to do that, then you you realize that's what's important. The pandemic really made that apparent for me when everything mm. was kind of taken away. And then you're like, the only thing that I can give myself are the things is the brain, is the things mm. that I can See? do. Yeah. <laughs> Where do you get your inspiration from? Like what inspires you? I think the way that I create, sometimes it will just be like a shape or sometimes it will be a particular kind of like color palette where you have like an, just an idea of something. Sometimes you don't know what it is, but an idea of like a woman and what, what she's doing, what what she looks like, or it can it can be so random. I think although I'm based in the fashion industry, like I absorb so much from so many different disciplines. And I saw this art installation and there was like a feeling that was there that mm. I want to almost translate or there was wow. you know a, a piece of theater that really moved me and what was what was it about the movement of the person mm. on stage or it, it's so many things I think like yeah it's it's never a set a preconceived idea of what a collection is going to be or a piece is going to be it's more about like a feeling mm. and then it just kind of goes from there yeah that's so interesting isn't it like that's so when I'm thinking about like with Pappy show and how we make work and that thing of sort of throwing in loads of sketches exactly but a kind of physical sketch or a kind of working on a bit of script or movement or something and we're not always completely we don't have a goal at the end necessarily mm. like, we might have a date whatever day but but you know we're not quite we're not like and then we know that we've got to fill this bit and it's this scene and it's this has to happen but that then we when you look back over the work I guess this is kind of the outside eye is really important here but when you look back over kind of what we've been creating it sort of fits together mm. and suddenly there's a kind of narrative sometimes it needs a little bit more tweaking kind of thing but you're like ah oh, there's a there's an arc there's a story there's mm. a kind of or a, a, there's a theme or this thing keeps coming up or um yeah it's interesting and then what is the process of like from that stage actually getting the piece of clothing do you then because you've got a factory right so I'm really lucky like I was really green because I was not formally trained like I didn't I didn't know I didn't understand like the technicality of like the business but mm. I was really lucky like a fabric supplier sent me to a factory owner um her name's Margaret Price and she's like she is the she is the idea of what you think a fashion person is she's like mm. right now she's like 70 like 73 74 colored mm. hair wears like exceptional clothes beautiful jewelry oh my god I love she that. had like a small atelier on the ground floor so the top floor she used to sell all vintage antiques that she would source and you'd go yeah. downstairs then you have this whole team of people and she would make everything from like the queen's clothes uh pieces for princess diana i would walk in there sometimes and like kira knightley sat there or so and so oh my god <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you'd, I'd come in and Margaret's like super cool, like doesn't care. And Kira Knightley sat just there and I'm like, oh, it's Kira Knightley. And you're like, cool. And you're just there. <laughs> She's lived like such a crazy, crazy life. But when we met, I think she just took a liking to me and she knew like, 
I think she could see something in kind of what I was doing. And then she really nurtured me and taught me how to kind of technically, like you have the creativity, but how do you execute your final vision? So I've worked at this factory now for maybe about 13 years. I've worked with Margaret Um, and it's amazing. So now it's a case of I'll do the sketch. I'll take fabric. I'll either pin it on myself or I'll pin it on a mannequin. Quick sew. You test it. I'll take it to Margaret. We'll look at it technically. And then you produce a first version, which is like a 12. And then you look at that, you make amendments, and then you get your final fabrics. Then you'll produce it. You'll do a final fitting, and that's the piece. It's like a jigsaw to kind of figure out what piece, how can you make this kind of top be flattering, but also give you this proportion? How do I achieve this shape and this fabric? Can it be done like you're always asking questions and trying to find like the answers and it has to be cost effective and it has to be, you know, all these things. Yeah. It's cool. All right. We know what question's coming next. (laughs) (laughs) What have your mistakes been? (laughs) (laughs) I think like when I meet people or when I'm in kind of situations, I always go into it with like the best intention. And I'm like, Mm. if I do this and the people that I work with, they do this, it's this collective goal. We're going to get to like where we want to go. I think like my biggest failure was as much as my being naive in the best possible ways, like helped me get to where Mm. I am. Basically naive also got me into some really kind of, tricky situations where I was working with um I was working with a footballer like a famous footballer while I was doing my own brand um and I worked with him for two years developed a whole collection for him and it was an amazing incredible process and incredible time but like because there was this level of trust where I was like he's got millions and millions of pounds Mm. if these expenses are not paid or if these things are not paid of course he's going to pay me because there's no shortage of money. So I would kind of take on these expenses thinking, oh, you know, like a regular job. I'd be like, oh, I'll give them an expense and then they'll do that. And as their business was growing, as the designs were getting better and brand was growing, we did a pop-up shop in Paris that I launched for them. So I did everything from like the design, the manufacturing of everything to dressing the shop. We did this whole big thing uh, and it was a great success. And then... Mm. I could feel like the energy just shifted. There was, where there was a team of like three people, there was like 10 other people around us now. I would be out and you know, you're out, you're drinking and whatever. And then I had people asking me like, so how do you come up with your designs? And how do you do this? And how do you do this? And I just realized at that moment, I've worked with this particular person for like two years and it's been an incredible time and it could give you, you know, things that are seemed that would seem on the surface successful. You've got regular income. You're connected to like success, like someone who is financially like, you know, really wealthy and has a certain level of celebrity. So people then mm. by default think, oh, you're successful just because you're in that sphere. Mm. So it was ticking all of these kind of like boxes and everyone was like really excited by what I was doing. But then I was like, you have to know like when to like leave the party. I was like, something is going to shift. 
And I felt, I literally, I felt it in Paris. I was there with a couple of friends and I was like, when I get back to London, everything's going to change. And then I remember it was just before Christmas and I just, I received a text in the morning and it, he messaged me and he was like, oh, I want all the stock. You're fired. See you you later. Oh my God. (laughs) And then I was like, fired. Yeah. He literally just fired me over WhatsApp. He's like, you're fired. I want all the stock. I want the patterns. I want the designs. I want all these things. Um, And then, and then it, and then I was in a court case with him for almost like, four and a half years. I was in like a court case with them because they were based in France. Everything then had to be done. And this is because he owed you so much money, right? Yeah, I was owed, including like my wages plus my expenses. I was owed maybe about between 40 or 50,000 pounds I was owed. And then, oh my god, which is probably nothing to him, right? Oh, it was nothing. It's, it was like a drop in the ocean. Yeah. And then, and then I basically what money I had, then I was spending that all on solicitors. So then, oh my god. So then I spent all my savings on you know another like fifty. Yeah, I in total like I lost a hundred and thirty thousand. So I lost what I was owed, and then I lost what I invested in. Um, because every time you keep putting in 10,000, you keep putting in, you're like, because I had a case, like I went to France. I remember I went to France. I, I found these solicitors and I remember sitting in their room in this massive law firm and there was a huge red abstract piece of art at the end of long table. And I'm just sat there and I'm like, I'm alone in this room. And I'm like, fucking hell, like. I'm in Paris now taking a Premier League footballer to court (laughs) because he's not paying me money and I was like this is crazy and they were like oh you know you've got a good case blah 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 and my main concern at the beginning was for him to pay all of the suppliers pay Margaret pay the fabric suppliers pay other people yeah he wasn't willing to pay anyone what was his reason for like not wanting to work with you anymore I think like for him He'd worked, he played in some like really prominent clubs in the UK. And he was at a point in his career where now he was on loan to other countries. He was like on loan Mm. to Russia, on loan in like the UAE and whatever. What I noticed about celebrity is the people around him in that immediate circle are so dependent on Mm. being attached to like that bubble that they are all like, yes, men. You know, when you hear people where they're like, Mm. why do certain celebrities do this? And why do certain people do this? Mm. Is there no one to tell them? The thing is, is that people want to be attached to that light so much Mm. that they'll almost do anything. And I was very much like, when we shot his first collection, he wanted to be on the cover of the collection. And I was like, no. And he was (laughs) like, why? He was like, I'm a footballer, I'm famous, I'm blah, blah, blah. And I was like, in your world, you matter, but in the fashion industry, <laughs> like it, 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 you're fired. Yeah, <laughs> you're nothing. Yeah, but I was, but yeah, in the best possible way. Like I'm, yeah. from, I'm from Northwest London. Like I was like, I keep it real. Like, you know, big department stores don't, you know, fashion lines that are endorsed by celebrities have a really short shelf life. So I was like, mm. they're never going to mm. take you seriously. So I was like. They need to approach this as it's like an independent label that happens to be backed by a footballer. And I was able to get meetings with every department store 
every major departments from the UK, I had meetings with them. They were impressed. Mm. There was so much movement with the brand, but I would tell them no, like so many times. And I think there was this element of like, they, people want to feel like they can control you, but I, but I wouldn't just roll over. He would say to me, I'm in Russia right now, come and stay in Russia. And I was like, dude, like I got, I got work to do. Like I'm not coming to Russia. Like, what do you want me to do in Russia? Like, and then you've got 10 people around who are basically saying, how much have you got to pay him? I'll do this for a hundred euros. Oh, I could do that. I could do that. I could do that. That's what happened. People Mm -hmm. saw like a finished product. And then I think people got into his ear and because he knew that he owed me backdated pay and there were all these expenses, Mm -hmm. he was like, well, I'll get one up on him and I'm just going to not pay him because I don't have to. Yeah, I gave you an opportunity and you haven't taken it. You You haven't taken it. You're not grateful enough. Yeah, yeah. Like what we did together was amazing and it could have been what he wanted it to be. There are a lot of people that will take you for a ride, but he couldn't recognize that I wasn't one of them. Yeah. Mm. Um, so it was there. Yeah, it was a crazy, crazy time in my life. And that was a massive learning curve for me to really look at my own behavior. Because obviously on the surface, I knew what he had done wrong. But at a certain point, it, it was like, but what have you done? As in, what have I done in this situation that mm. facilitated this kind of behavior? Where did I not mm. draw the line? Where, where mm. should I have kind of pushed back more? And I think a lot of it was like, I should have had more confidence in myself to not be scared to just say, do you know what? I'm not going to work this month until these bills are paid. Because that would just make me feel more comfortable. I didn't understand like what's good practice and what's not good practice. So that was a massive, that was the biggest failure. And I remember from last time you said that actually in the, the end you won the court case. Yeah, this was the funniest thing. So by the end of it, like he played all these dirty tactics, like he can't speak English. So even when we'd send a deposition in English, I would then have to pay to get it all written in like French. And imagine it's like 50 pages. So like, and then I'd seen an interview of him speaking in English and it was like, oh my God. God. It was, it was literally crazy. It was crazy, crazy stuff. I'd spent basically all my savings. And then I won the case. Basically, we got to this final point and then I won the case. And then I remember like when I won, like I cried, like I saw my parents and I just, I cried. And I was just like, and it wasn't so much about the money, but it was like, there was such a sense of injustice that I felt. Mm. Because as a creative, your self-worth, no matter whatever is the job, whether it's a big job, small job, high profile, whatever, your self-worth is linked to your work because you put so much of yourself into it I I went into therapy for a little bit just to talk to someone and then I remember coming out having one session with my therapist I was driving home and I got a call from my solicitor and they said to me you've won the case but we can't actually get any of the money because he's emptied the business bank account and we can't go after him as an individual person we can only go after the company in the UK, you could do that, but you can't do that in yeah. France. So then I was like, okay, so I won. And now you're telling me I can't get any money. And they were basically like, no. And then they were like, we can continue now to fight. We can go about this another way. And then as I came back and I was driving home, 
in traffic, I just bawled my eyes out, like just ugly crying, like just mm. sorrow. Mm. Even when I talk about it now, like I feel like that scar, you can still touch it. Like, yeah, it's in your body, isn't it? That kind of trauma. Yeah. yeah. Of, like... And so that's what it was. So I failed in that process in so many ways. Like I had to deal with so many failures in that. And a, and a lot of those failures are obviously on on his part. But I take responsibility in terms of like where I failed myself. There's so many different uh, parts to like being a creative. And part of that is like really fucking up. And part of that is really falling on your <laughs> yeah. face. <laughs> yeah. And then really like having those kind of moments where you're like, okay, I've literally hit now rock bottom. And you're either going to now let this be the defining moment in terms of this was the thing that kind of finished you in terms of you're always then that person. You're always complaining about that situation. And I was like, fuck that. I was like, I'm not going to, I'm not that person. And I'm not going to let myself be that person. And then you slowly, you pick yourself back up. And it, it took me about a year and a half of just doing projects for other people to really start to be like, I need to just do something now for myself again. Like I'm ready to do something. And it was during the pandemic. I was like, it just made me feel a bit like you only have yourself to rely on. Um... And you need to be brave. You need to like, you know, follow your own dreams. You need to like pick the pen back up. You need to do something. And I literally, I designed one, I had an idea for the collection. I did one piece and I, I called Margaret and I was like, Margaret, I've got this idea. And during the pandemic, like she had nothing to do. Like we went into the factory, just me and her. And every other week I just go in, do a couple of hours and I piece the collection together. And then by October, I had the collection and when I look at it and I was like, mm. I did this despite all the obstacles, I was able to persevere and I was able to like depend on myself. And that's like the best thing about it. What a story. <laughs> what a thing to have gone through. It's absolutely mental. Did you get the money in the end, Shaz? No, no, I no. lost all of it. <sighs> yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> fuck him. Big fuck him. Fuck. I don't know how you can... How a person can do that, I don't know. Yeah. How about you, B? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Like, failure is... Kind of learn as a performer, or and I teach this a lot as well, of, like, you know, how much you learn from your mistakes and failure is really good and to celebrate it, but it's also really hard in the kind of... You have to stop yourself going, if only that had happened, or if only I had got that job, I could have, you know, that, yeah. that I could have been there by now. <laughs> you, like, even the worst experiences I've had, like, exactly what you were saying there, Shaz, like, you learn something, or you meet someone, or it kind of, even if it really destroys you, there's some kind of little glimmer somewhere that kind of keeps alive. I've had a really similar, really similar, similar and completely different Thing of oh big learning of that thing of go, getting really big and getting really high and then going and the, the, it's the bigger fall down the other side right I was doing this that comedy show the ladies monthly thing I was telling you about before and it was like a cabaret thing and it kind of really snowballed and escalated and various people came to see it kind of like friends of friends but who worked in the industry and it sort of suddenly we weren't particularly marketing it but it just sort of got a bit of momentum behind it and before we knew it we were at the Trafalgar Studios performing there and then a big production company came to see it we were a bit we we're completely naive actually remember we turned up at the meeting like we just took a load of cakes in 
kind of just sort of went for a laugh. And they were like, what are you going to do with your showgirls? And we were like, I don't know. <laughs> kind of jokes, jokes, jokes. They were like, well, we think it would work really well on TV. And we were like, oh, yeah, well, yeah. And they kind of really helped, like, take the show on. And then lots of TV companies were interested in it. And that was a real strategy moment of, like, you've got to get all these people really hungry and mm. everyone's going, oh, what are they doing here? You know, there were those those big balls producer over there that you know if they're here then this must be a, a thing and so we kind of created loads of hype and we got loads of like offers and again that's one of those things like oh if only we'd taken that one maybe it would have been but anyway we sort of like you know and you don't really know yeah. what you're doing so you just go on the kind of advice of the people who you trust who are around you and we ended up we got a commission and we made with like a major tv channel and we (laughs) we made like a kind of one of those comedy shorts it was like a half hour episode like a pilot basically which was just amazing absolutely amazing like we filmed it in front of a live studio audience and Mm. it was like I mean we got taken shopping by the designer who had this brilliant she just used to go "Mm, no not for telly darling it's the fabric (laughs) come on come on it was just really the whole thing was just really exciting and and loads of work but really really exciting work but we also took I guess like we just you know we were both temping at the time so we just like had to stop kind of working so we weren't earning any money it was like you know that we're completely broke but kind of just trusting in this thing we was mentored and lots of our kind of real like inspirational comedians and writers were had been like work with these companies so it was just like oh my god this is living the truth amazing and we made our pilot and it went out got aired on kind of mainstream tv the kind of premise of it was a lot about it was magazines and it was at the time of like when heat magazine and closer (laughs) like before everything was online really i think it's all that celebrity bullshit still there isn't it but it's like there's it's such a bigger kind of net on the net (laughs) but then it was like very much about the magazines and so it was a piss take of what was going on in the magazines each week but then there was lots of stuff that we kind of couldn't say on tv that we could you could get away with in you know in a cabaret venue being rude and naughty and salacious but there was lots of stuff that cut suddenly lawyers were involved and telling us stuff but everything just started getting slightly kind of twisted and like our original vision just started getting pulled in different ways and we just went along with it went along with it there was a director who said to me like tried to kind of sum up like our strengths he said about Sam like she had a rubber face and I had terrific tits and like wow I'm like what the fuck like you you know like that thing of going you wouldn't get away with that today it's like you didn't really get away with that then yeah <laughs> it was only like 10 years ago or something um that was like my learning from this was like your instinct is always always there at that moment I should have gone sorry fuck this this is my project um and I don't want to work with that that doesn't that doesn't yeah kind of chime with me at all but I didn't because you kind of go oh I'm so grateful by the time it got aired the whole thing had been so kind of not yeah like just twisted or edited or kind of censored and I understand why because I understand why things have to be censored on tv to an extent (laughs) the thing that went out was kind of like whoa that's miles away from our original vision but we also we had like good viewing figures and you know it wasn't like a disaster it was just like oh that doesn't quite wasn't quite the celebration of what it kind of should have been, I guess. But then the the real fuck was the real failure bit was then we got we got zero feedback, complete silence from the um, TV channel, which was like what? 
like you've just plowed like you know it's like 50 grand i mean it's really tv's really expensive it's like wow you've like what like let's at least talk about this like even if none of us were happy about that what can we learn like we're just a couple of temps basically like the potty mouths who'd written this naughty thing and no like like we just never spoke about it it was really really weird like and they were sort of our friends you know like we'd been like and have you ever talked to them since the kind of the kind of close kind of producers that we're working with yeah and I yeah and it would be you know like we bumped into them and they sort of said look we were like what are we going to do do we need should we go and have a meeting with them and they were like no no just trust us like get on get on with your next thing you know do like if they're not saying anything just that's the way the industry works but it was but like a bit like you Shaz of going well what do you mean what is our next thing I don't know what I don't know what to do now. I feel totally kind of rejected and sort of like I've really fucked this up where I don't think we have actually, I don't think we did fuck it up, but it was like, it might not have been the thing that we all thought it was, but it was still something. We still made, you know, like we can learn mm. from this. We can make something else or go away and give us some feedback. And and I think that was that thing of like, it was a real crush to like, oh, well, we're just not, we're just not cutting it. Then we're just not. You know, we're just not good enough. We're not My God. funny enough, pretty enough, big enough tits. Or, you know, like, do you know what I mean? All that stuff, because all that stuff had been fed into the kind of process on a really weird kind of low level. But it, yeah, I don't know. And I think, again, that just that thing about the the ins, the learning from it is not like, oh, if only I'd sacked that director early on, it would have been okay <laughs> at all. Like, I wish I'd had the kind of confidence on Maybe it's sort of arrogance to just go, <laughs> yeah. yeah, right, okay, fuck, fuck it, okay, that it didn't work, it's a practice, you know, like, okay, yeah. cool, let's just pick it up, let's carry on. And that's what I teach a lot of, like, it might have been a disaster, let's, you know, but there might be a tiny little spark from that disaster that we can still use. But actually, it's very easy to kind of spout that, isn't it? But very hard when it really comes down on you and your own personal creativity. And it is only, like you are saying, it's only you who I had a sort of um mantra to probably shared with people of like <laughs> uh, no one gives a shit no one gives a shit no and it was like people <laughs> can look at me like my god that's so negative I'm like no no once you grab the positive of that but that thing of like only you give a shit about it. no one cares if you don't finish your book or your <laughs> yeah fashion label or you, you know if you don't do that design or you don't write that sketch or send that thing off like it doesn't matter to anyone else it only you're only accountable kind of to yourself in that sense and mm. part, part in it I suppose and I think like also there's this whole thing as well as that when you're a creative you're putting yourself you're putting yourself out there so much to mm. you're putting your kind of art out there and a part of you kind of like out there and sometimes like not everything works and Mm. it's about like recovery like to to Mm -hmm. kind of just like we can't expect it all just to be like you're going to come out of like drama school and then you're you know you're talented and everyone around you saying like you're talented and we're gonna you know you're gonna just fly like your talent go yeah yeah yeah, your talent's enough like for any creative industry I think like sometimes the most talented people that kind of really make it aren't the most necessarily like talented who conventionally make it by conventional Mm. standards but it's because you know they understand like the business side of it they Mm. understand like how to be like really tenacious and ballsy and Mm. they'll be that kind of arsy kind of person on set or 
to kind of get what they want. And even if that's not your natural disposition, I always say to even other creatives that I know that are younger than me or or anything that ask me and I'm like, there's always something to take away from that. And I think mm. as a like as a creative person, you always have to remind yourself of these of these lessons all the time. It's not like mm-hmm. you just learn this something happens to you and then you learn your lesson once. Yeah, and you've learned that and you can tick that box. It's you like, I've, done that, I've done that level. Yeah. I'm on level two now. Yeah. Yeah, it, it keeps coming back, doesn't mm. it? There's, there's always something. And I think I think that's what it is. Like, failure is a part of, like, creativity. Like, like you just have to, like, be stripped of, like, like, your comforts. And you have to be stripped of all these things to kind of, to push yourself. To see mm. if you really are that person. If you really are, like, are you the creative person like on the surface that you just want it? Maybe you do just want it for the fluff. You just want to be like mm-hmm. the designer, the actor, the, the whatever. Fluff. Yeah. Fairy coat. <laughs> yeah, literally. Yeah, literally. I like... always, always think that if I'm not enjoying the journey, I will never enjoy the just the destination. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I, like, remind. And then all these yeah. failures are all part of the journey. They're so, so all these mistakes there's a sort of endurance as well isn't there a friend of mine um who was Mm. like he was on a tv show and was kind of had a little you know kind of suddenly kind of people going oh come and talk to the students at such and such school and and I was with him and I remember him saying I'll come and talk to them about um working on a building site for the first 10 years of my career and like um I'll tell them about that and crying when it uh, like <laughs> on the scaffolding and he was saying it's about how long you can keep your hand in the fire that's what this is about yeah and like, oh, that's really good mm. and like no, it doesn't have to be completely unpleasant it doesn't have you don't have to burn your hand on the journey do you but like <laughs> yeah. kind of hanging oh yeah I don't know as I say that I'm like hang on that goes against everything you just said but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> hanging in there it's not simple yeah yeah but I think it's right I think there is it is it is about hanging in there because you like after you had that opportunity like you know with your with your creative partner and there was all this buzz and hype and to film a you know like to film a show you must have felt mm. like you know this is like French and Saunders vibes this is yeah, like yeah 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 that's what we were told we're the next French and Saunders it's so like... so um, oh my so, god yeah <laughs> oh, that's hell. massive Oh my goodness. But then for then if if that like didn't work, you have to still keep going. You still have to kind of put your hand in the fire and be like, yeah. I'm not I'm not gonna stop. If that didn't work, okay, I'm gonna now, you know, I don't know, teach geography or something like that. Like you didn't do that. Do you know what I mean? Like you've still yeah, stayed Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still you you realise the essence of you is like your creativity. You just Yeah. You still need to create. You still always need to be like in that space. And that's what it is. Reductive. (laughs) Listen, you two, this has been amazing. You are amazing people. You're amazing. (laughs) Oh, shut up. Yeah. Let's do a little check out. Looking back, what is one little like nugget of advice that you would give yourself? Um, I think like what what advice I would give myself is that even when it is bad it sounds really cliche but like 
not to kind of just give up on yourself because you can't. Basically, I was like, if you really want to do something, it feels like it's part of your DNA. You need to like believe in yourself and you need to kind of like really just go for what you want. I think that's that's the, the biggest thing because I would never change been crazy. But at least when I look at my life, I always think, shit, man, like you've lived like, like a crazy life. I had like, you know, amazing highs and like, uh, you know, in- absolutely incredible experiences. And and I've had like really like suffering like lows. But I'm still here, like, mm. you know, I'm still doing what I love. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a much more like healthy place, taking a few knocks. Maybe not specifically mine or yours. <laughs> They're like pretty bad <laughs> fucking ones. They're not for the faint of hearted. <laughs> but I think, yeah, fa- like, failure is really important. I would always tell myself, like, you need to fail a little bit. So, yeah, mm. that's, that's me. Mine's something about like instinct, I think, of like trusting your instinct because you basically do always know. I think I really, that's something I've really learned. But at the same time, I kind of really think like, oh, just follow your nose. You might be surprised, you know, like if you kind of cut dead things, like, go, now I've got a bad feeling about that. Oh, no, don't want to, you know, like you can actually really limit yourself. I guess it's about balance, is sort of, but really kind of continually checking in with that. You can't like, you can't set your compass to like north and then go and just expect to keep going there's going to be things that kind of come in your way in mm. the time so you've got to kind of duck in and dive in thank you so Aww. so much to you two this is so nice i hope we pressed record this time oh god <laughs> it's a nice chat yeah. <laughs> so good if not see you next sunday <laughs> yeah basically yeah i'm around <laughs> <laughs> all right let's start recording that's it this has been series one of it's a practice by the pappy show you can find out more about what we are up to at www.thepappyshow.co.uk on our brand new spanking website check it out it is beautiful um i want to say a huge huge thank you to everyone who has made this first series possible all of our amazing guests and everyone at the pappy show who has made this logistically possible to do during a lockdown it has been an absolute joy this has been It's a Practice with sound by Roly Botha, music by Jim Caesar, hosted by Rachel Ayahoska and produced by The Pappy Show. Oh yeah.